welcome to Starman's podcast. <laughs> Hello. I guess. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Starman's podcast. I am not thrilled about this episode. Why? I'm just not thrilled about it. I mean, it gives me a lot of confidence when you tell me you're not thrilled about. Well, okay, let me rephrase. It's not that I'm not thrilled about it. It's Yeet. that I'm signing off. All right. Thanks for coming to Starman's podcast. We'll see you in the next episode. See you next time. <laughs> Click. <laughs> it's off already. The fastest episode, probably the fastest podcast episode ever. Click. No, actually, I think there's like a three minute minimum on podcasts. Click. Don't ask me how I know that. I don't know how you know that. Are we at three minutes yet? No, probably not. No. What are we? What are we talking about? Dare I ask? I don't. I don't even really know how to name this one actually, because it's more like crazy infectious diseases and then the pathogens associated with them. I was gonna do that title is way too long. right. I was only gonna do like bloodborne pathogen or any like infectious disease process from the blood. Okay. But I didn't. Instead, I chose like crazy bacterium that are like. Are they we cause about these multiple diseases, multiple diseases, and multiple bacteria that cause like crazy, interesting diseases. So it's more like an epidemiological episode. Some are relevant, some are not. Some are common, some are not. So it's okay. really going to be huh. kind of bio, biology based, immunology based, virology based. Okay. Disease based. <laughs> Uh, epidemiology yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot it's all over the place you, so if you guys are disgusted easily or you're sick of the covid shit i'd probably skip this episode to be honest then scroll back to our previous episodes or uh, yeah go listen about the internet or something i guess or something i guess i guess i guess um well as the listener you already know what the title is but we have that to figure out yeah so good luck <clears throat> this is gonna be a random slish slosh a bullshit title maybe we, maybe we should just title it like help like 15 like help question me marks. <laughs> yes. like, yeah. people are like what the fuck just question marks like, be like yeah. mm, mystery episode yeah maybe maybe we'll see, we'll see. all right yeah, so uh, let's let's fucking get into it. Okay. Okay, 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 okay. All right, the first one, so I'll just actually dive right in. The first one we're going to talk about is called a pyogenic cocci, which means an inflammatory, pyogenic is, means inflammatory, okay. causing, and then cocci, C-O-C-C-I, it means round in shape. Um, it's uh, called staph aureus or staphylococcus aureus. Not to be confused with staphylococcus? Or is it so staphylococcus is like let's say staphylococcus is the umbrella <laughs> under each umbrella there's different ones like you have different types of streptococcus right and same thing with like staph you still have different types of staph so i picked a oh. certain type of staph i'm to not gonna about. lie to you i was today years old when i realized that strep had more than one variant <laughs> yes and we're gonna talk about a bunch of those too actually oh, okay. because those are really interesting people think these bacteria cause like single diseases but in reality they cause a widespread like one bacteria causes like 15 fucking different crazy ass diseases and i'm only going to talk about a handful of each one so again this is gonna be a big learning episode which is good you guys should I'm learning. fucking know about more than coronavirus so <laughs> uh doc i have strep or corona help everyone should learn a little bit more so okay so staph aureus it's identified it was identified first and this is the only history i'm going into by a scientist named alexander ogston 
And he named it for its golden color, hence the aureus, when it grows in colonies on the bacterial media. So when they try and produce it on an agar plate, they grow it and it actually turns gold. This some Do you know this? Is this something that they found in a patient and were like, what is that? I'll tell you. And, I'm or... about to tell you how they discovered it. Okay. Um, so basically, well, how you discover bacteria is you literally, you find a bacteria, you're like, what the fuck is that? And you run it through gram stains, you run it through all these like tests, you try to reprodu- reproduce it, grow it until you can say, okay, this is a one we have never discovered. And then you name it. And then they do that over and over and over and over and over and over and over until they can identify it. And then you see by its shape. So again, cocci, it's a, it's a circular one. So you know, it's that. Yeah. Um, and then you can name it or group it based off of the reactions or disease processes that it cause it's causing in the body. So there's a, it's a very expansive process to discover a new one and rule out old ones. Right. So interesting. So it also, so going back to the history on it, it also looks similar to kind of like a bunch of grapes. So it looks like literally a cluster of grapes on the medium, which is, um, they were able to identify it by taking samples of 88 human abscesses. Ew. And regrowing it that way. Ew. That's fucking disgusting. They extracted this from the abscesses, and then they injected that bacteria into guinea pigs to give them abscesses. And then was able to say, yep, it's this bacteria here, here. It's a new one we've never seen. Let's name it. Staph aureus. What did I say at the beginning? I'm not what about Ew. this podcast? Because I think... We're going to switch that to thrilled if I didn't already say thrilled. Did I, I think I said thrilled. You're this not... is why I'm not thrilled, by the way. Yeah, it's gross. It's fucking nasty. But what's fucking... So <laughs> what's interesting about Staph aureus, it's naturally found in our bodies. It's part of our normal flora and our um, in our skin. I, I kind of believe it. It is. Yeah. So you could scrape your skin off and chance... Well, <laughs> no, scrape your please, skin. Please don't scrape your skin off. <laughs> you could scrape part of your skin and put it under a microscope and potentially find some normal flora back uh, staph aureus. Interesting. But when it's infective, it's called an opportunistic organism. So it has to be in the right conditions, right times to cause a disease. Okay. So it basically it causes a disease when it produces certain like toxins... And that's where you get its highly inflammatory effects in the body. Um, most, well, most people catch this in a nosocomial in a nosocomial um, environment, which means it comes from hospitals, Ooh. essentially. Yeah. Um, Are hospitals kept cold on purpose for that reason? Or is I it just a myth? Don't know. I don't know. I heard that um, hospitals are like generally cold because it's harder for bacteria to grow. Um, I know they keep hospitals like surgical units cold to keep the staff uh, comfortable because they're very hot when they work. So oh, maybe yeah, I don't the know. surgeons. Um, but I don't know. Um, C diff is another example of a nosocomial pathogen, something that's picked up in the hospital settings due to like cross contamination, not <laughs> sterilizing properly. Um, Clostridium difficile, if you don't know. That's basically... Uh, I don't know anything. <laughs> we don't talk about C. diff, which I should have. That's a good one. Um, that's essentially... It's very common in geriatric patients. It affects the autoimmune... Or immunocompromised, not necessarily autoimmune, but it would affect autoimmune. It basically causes, like, massive, massive release of, like, fluids in your body. Like, you're puking, you're, you have diarrhea, and it's... The problem is it 
dehydrates you so significantly fast it kills you very quickly shit so anyone who has like chronic c diff is really at odds and especially in the geriatric population who's not very hydrated enough so right it's kind of a big problem again going back to staff have you ever heard of MRSA I've heard of it I don't know what it is though so that's methylene resistant staph aureus that's a staph that's a it's staph aureus but it's resistant to treatment oh Um, shit it's basically resistant to antibiotics because we've overused broad spectrum antibiotics. We were talking about this the other day is the overuse of them has caused our bodies to now not respond to when we give ourselves antibiotics to treat bacterial infections. Love that for me. Right. So what do they do? You just die? No, you try and get, so methylene resistant or methicillin. I just said that completely wrong. Methicillin resistant. Okay. Um, you, tr- your, your goal is to try a different antibiotic and hope that that responds or a stronger level, a stronger broad spectrum, huh. or you're going to try and do supportive care and try and get, let your body naturally process it by just supporting the body in general by doing like IVs, transfusions, whatever. So can you just like pump a bunch of like vitamin C and shit and like, be like vitamin C is not the biggest player in immunity. And that's a really common misconception. Vitamin D has a way stronger. Qcertin has a way stronger role in immunity. Elderberry has a way stronger role than C. Reality <laughs> C is good, but it's not even like top tier. Interesting. Calmag is way better too. So that's a but they just, that's the idea though. They just like, your body fights it out, but they pump you with all this they stuff. They try other antibiotics first. And if you stop responding, your goal is to just try and keep you alive in whatever way possible to fight you off, to give you the best supported fighting chance. So God damn. Okay. that's again, if you start rejecting other forms of antibiotics and there's thousands on the market or hundreds, whatever. Right. So, so it's unlikely. Right. But it's a bitch. Oh, you can yeah. see how that's a big problem. That is. A, yeah. We're, yeah. And honestly, fighting it with stronger stuff. Kind of makes me feel like that's just feeding more into the... The problem is, is you don't want to give someone the big guns up front at first, because what if the fucking big guns don't work? Your body's rejecting the big guns, so what the fuck, there's nothing else above. Right. So what you want to do is you want to start, start depending on the level of infection, you know, the signs, symptoms, etc. You want to start with kind of a mild to moderate dose and hope that works. If it's not, then you start stepping it up or you change it to a different type or a more specific one to like staph. Broad spectrum antibiotics means we're going to go after all bacteria. Right. Versus you could have specific targeting ones that target certain types. Some people start broad spectrums in the beginning because they don't know what it is, but you have such a severe infection. They have to do something right away to get the infection to calm down. Right. Then you send it to the lab. They analyze it, come back in hopefully soon. And then you can identify and then give specific antibiotics based off that. That's typically the idea. Or if you're stupid and like most other doctors that don't want to fucking order the test, they just give you broad spectrums for ear infections and hope. And that builds up immunity, or I'm sorry, resistance over time. And kids, starting at a young age, you pump them full of antibiotics, they build up resistance. So when you have a severe infection or disease later on down the road, they're already non-responsive because you gave them 14 rounds of fucking antibiotics for these mild ear infections, which weren't even real ear infections. They're misdiagnosed. And it affects you later in life. It's crazy. Yeah. So we really kind of screwed up the entire antibiotic realm. If we were just a little bit more responsible. Mm-hmm. Th- this wouldn't be nearly as much of a problem, but it would I say, would this ever happen eventually? Probably, you know, I believe it. So the resistance would probably happen. So on a milder level, <laughs> Staphoris actually causes abscesses, boils and impetigo. 
which is basically inflammation of hair follicles or local inflammatory skin diseases. That's on a more milder level. On a severe level, it can go systemic and can cause acute arthritis, which is simply inflammation of your joints. Right. Um, Not related to degeneration, which is important because I could be young and I can have arthritis and I could have healthy, normal joints, but they're just inflamed from a bacterial infection. Sure, that makes sense, yeah. Can cause pneumonia. Sure. Severe bacterial pneumonia, which we all know. Or a really fucking scary-ass condition, which is a chiropractor's worst nightmare, which is osteomyelitis. Fuck is that? Dare I ask? So, osteomyelitis, <laughs> um, OM, is an infection in the bone. It can be in the cortex itself, the central, or the outer part, the hard outer part. It can be in the marrow in the center, the periosteum, the surrounding sheath around the outer cortex, or in the soft tissue around the bone itself. Okay. So similar to other things, OM starts by creating an abscess, an infective pocket Hmm. in one of those layers. The abscess constricts blood flow to the area, basically causing avascular necrosis or cellular death. Right. Because there's no good nutrients coming in, and it's just this whole sloppy mess of shit. And then unfortunately, it starts to enlarge over time and spread to where it eventually bursts out into cavities, leaking more infection and pus everywhere. So it basically becomes sepsis. Depending on if you catch it in time. This is a highly inflammatory infection. And let me tell you about bone pain. It's awful. So you you probably catch it. You'll hope to catch it. (laughs) Some people don't. Like drug users, people who are not necessarily with it all the time, who alter their mental state, limp around, they they may not know that something serious is going on. They're like, oh, that's just my limp until it's a big problem. Yeah. Damn. So the body actually tries to correct this process, you know, contain the infection, and it lays over a new bone to hold it. And that's called um, basically sequestering. Um, in the process of sequestering it is a sequestrum. That's the bony piece. Shit. Unfortunately, this is typically unsuccessful because that creates, it's a thin piece of bone and it creates so much pressure in that little abscess. And again, if this isn't, this is if you have no treatment, mm-hmm. um, the sequestrum gets basically pushed out and then surrounded by pus. And now it's created this bony center with a pus surrounding it that's starting to infect the uh, tissue some more calling it involucrum and then in severe cases at this point your bone is probably either burst or is about to burst out god damn unless it's in the soft tissue um then typically you can actually have leaking out of in through your skin it will eat its way out of your body i i'm so shocked at the amount of things that your body does as a quote-unquote defense mechanism that end up hurting you more than helping you well it's trying to surround it and make it go away so it's like but it's actually fucking you it's like, yeah, it sucks. It's gross. Yeah. So that is osteomyelitis, and that can happen in your tibia. It can happen in your femur. It can happen in your quad. It can happen in your arm. It can happen in your spine. Ooh, that would be bad. Very bad. That's a big fucking problem. So very rare, but it can. Right. So another. This is actually a common disease you've heard of. Um, most people don't know Staph aureus causes this. Is toxic shock, bleh, toxic shock syndrome. Hmm. basically when you leave a menstrual device in for too long um but that is a problem because again it can cause severe systemic infections um throughout your entire body Uh, most people see though like fever vomiting rash diarrhea sore throat muscle pains you can go into spasm you can actually go into shock again toxic shock damn 
But a lot of people don't know that's a staph aureus cause. Yep, didn't know that. Crazy. Another disease, scalded sin- skin syndrome or Ritter's disease. Scalded skin syndrome? Mm-hmm. Like from being burned? No. So remember how staph <laughs> is naturally found in the like the flora of our skin? Yeah. Um, it can create this like exfoliating endotoxin that causes the layers of the skin to peel and then slough off. <laughs> the worst Gross. part about this, this happens in children. Oh my god. From like birth to roughly at the latest six years old. It's very uncommon, what? but that's a staph aureus infection. Um, it typically happens in kids that are really immunocompromised, because again, it's an opportunistic pathogen, right. or those with severe renal or kidney disease. Jesus. It typically starts with an upper respiratory infection, an ear infection, conjunctivitis, um, an infected umbilical area, anywhere where staff from your skin, the kids like scratching their face or whatever, has the ability to go from your skin into your body itself. Right. Um, it's severely painful. Um, the problem is, is because the skin sloughs off. It doesn't slough off and like reveal like bloody tissue muscle. It's not like sliding off. It just sloughs off some layers, but it reveals this reddened highly inflamed cellulitis type of skin and if you haven't had cellulitis you don't want it because that's just it's like severely tender and it's just basically inflammation of the skin layers itself and it's just like unbearable damn (laughs) my my friend trey in med school he had cellulitis like a quarter sized part on the side of his foot he couldn't fucking walk jesus this tiny little spot and this kid could not walk at all and they didn't know what it was until they did diagnostic ultrasound and they're like um that's cellulitis and he's like fuck this is like the worst pain ever awful shit so again highly inflammatory big problem with kids but luckily we don't have to worry about it most adults don't i don't even know if there may be some recorded cases but they're rare it's weird why I have no idea why that's a thing. Like chicken pox is more susceptible in younger people than it is older. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> why, but there's there's this is just like such a this is not even just a thousand foot view. This is like an outer space view of these diseases, which is sad. Right. We had to learn all of these plus more. I mean, I picked about a third of the Sapphorus diseases that we had to learn. And this is one bacteria. Like those sheets Sheets and sheets and sheets, those 20, 30-page packets all filled with diseases we had to fucking learn. Christ. But you can see how they relate. They're important to be able to identify. Yeah, I do. Especially I do. in private practice. Yeah, so. you can tie them very easily to... If you're fucking with someone's body. Right. You're going to want to know what's going on. Right. Um, lastly, staph aureus can cause food poisoning. Um, this It's a very different type of food poisoning. It's like you have... It's one to two hours or so. It's very quick. Like you almost eat it. And then within an hour or so, you don't feel right. And then within a couple hours, your your signs and symptoms are present. Like you're puking, nauseous, diarrhea, all of it. Your body just ejects everything. It fully rejects it. It's quick to start, but quick to end. It's like 10 to 12 hours lasting. That's it. Isn't it, that just normal food poisoning? No. So you can have food poisoning. Actually, your signs and symptoms don't show up for a couple days, for 24 hours, for 12 hours. There's all sorts of different types of food poisonings. And different foods cause different types of food poisonings right. and different bacteria. Sure. Like with Staph aureus, it's actually like creamy foods, like custards, potato salad, chicken salad, stuff like that. That's hmm. the type of food that you would eat in that 
would cause all your symptoms. But those other ones like chicken, like salmonella, right? very different process that can take like 6 to 8 to 12 hours to set in before you even start getting symptoms. And then it can last 12, 24, 48. Right. Some of them can last for days. So... I can't, I can't imagine being that sick for that long. I've gotten food poisoning twice in my life, and both times it was between 6 and 12 hours of eating whatever it was, mm-hmm. and it only lasted like 4 or 5 hours. Right. And then it didn't feel great after 4 or 5 hours, but I was done being sick, you know, actively. Right. <clears throat> I would rather have it like that, where it's like on in a couple hours, done in 10 to 12. Yeah. I hate being sick. I have a severe aversion to vomiting. I will lay there until I'm like fucking almost dying <clears throat> you know, before I, I vomit. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I, this is probably not going to help you, but um, when I was a kid, I used to, well, when I was like 13 or 14, I was, I got sick a few times very quickly. Like I got sick like one month and then I started feeling sick again. And I had like this massive panic attack. And I was like telling my mom, I was like, I, I don't want to get sick. I don't want to puke. Right. I, I'm, I'm terrified of puking. Mm-hmm. And... I ended up puking, and then as I was doing it, she was, like, in the bathroom with me, like, trying to calm me down, and she was, like, she was, like, listen, nobody on earth likes to puke. Everybody goes through it. Nobody likes it, and for some reason, and I don't know why, because it didn't seem helpful at the time, that always rings true in my ear to this day. I'm, like, that's right. Nobody likes it. Everybody hates it. It's not. Do they, though? What about bulimia? People get a sense of... I'm sure they don't like the process. I, I don't know, unless you're... It's a mental disorder. The they, yeah. it's, I mean, maybe. They it, they enjoy of the release of getting that out of your body. So, yes, maybe. Maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. But that's, like, severe again. That's, that's really severe. Well, then, yeah, that's the only exception. But anyway... That just that, that always comes into my head when I'm vomiting is like I'm like, oh yeah, no one no one likes this. This is awful for everybody. And it somehow brings me peace. <laughs> that doesn't bring me peace. I still hate it. <laughs> yeah. I don't okay. care. I don't give a fuck if you guys like it, love it, hate it, <laughs> despise it. I do. I'm not going to. I will sit until the last second the last second and be like, No <laughs> I'll sit yeah. on the couch and be like, No, 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 no and like oh fight God. it. Literally it's awful. I've done that since I was a kid, though. I hate it. Which is ironic because, like, puking is your body's response to getting it out. Yes, it's, I shouldn't fight it. I, I will fight it for hours, and it's like, well, if I just stopped doing that, I'd probably feel better quicker. But you instead, would. I sit here and fester like a yeah. fucking open staphorous abscess. <laughs> the more you suppress it, the, the worse your body's going to react. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Just let it's it awful. out. Just puke. No. Okay. no long story short no okay next one i fuck i'm not even that far into this and we're like half this may be a two almost halfway this may be a 20 minutes i'm not even a quarter this may be a two-parter oh my god i'm sorry just fucking bang it out just no i don't want to these are good stories fuck we could do a two-parter whatever okay just fucking just read at you monologue monotone and next we're gonna talk about streptococcus bacterium (laughs) and what it is is a transformative disease (laughs) yes so actually so here we go strep streptococcus Mm. and we're not going to history really annoying very very familiar with strep um yes most people are actually but you probably don't know half the shit it actually truly causes so it's kind of cool no um, most of this, again, this is found normally in the upper respiratory system, making it another opportunistic pathogen. Sure. 
So the first subtype we're going to talk about is the group A beta hemolytic strep or strep pyogenes. Say that 10 times fast. Group A beta hemolytic strep. Beta Beta hemolytic group A. That simply means that when you go to test for it, it's you put it under a plate and it either hemolyzes or partially hemolyzes or doesn't, which means the red blood cells break apart or don't. It's just another test to identify it. So when I go to the doctor's office and they swab the back of my throat and I gag on it, are they they throwing that on a petri dish and looking at it? How deep they going? How deep they going for that gag reflex? They go really deep for strep. Do they? They hit the back of your throat. Oh, how they? You gag every time. Yeah, you you can't take it. it Yeah, for you. Do it. Can you take it? (laughs) I go like this. Ready? (laughs) (laughs) Every time. (laughs) (laughs) We need a video. <laughs> Holy shit! Oh my god! Oh my god! And they, oh, the fucking the the they take the wooden spoon to. Oh, I just the whole process fucking sucks. It sucks. He fucking this sucks. Need this family. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. I was asking you a question. What's the question? Do they do that and then they throw it on a Petri dish and that's how they figure Essentially, it out? Essentially, yeah. So they put it in. They put it in a sterilized container. They ship it off to a lab. My sister analyzes it and then complains about it. Your and sister then... specifically analyzes yes, my, my bacteria? Yes. My oh, damn, sister, okay. My sister goes and analyzes your shit and then oh. complains about other people and then sends it back and says, yeah, bitch, you got the fucking strep. But yep. they've actually gotten rid of basically her as the ex- the person because they have rapid tests that do right, a quick positive like... not even you can just like dip dip and it'll be like covid rapid test Bloop. right there you go that's how they can tell you before you even leave the fucking facility so not every say, every time i've tested and they're like yep you have strep like within like 40 minutes right yeah. right so yeah literally less than that um, and sometimes they do have like little analyzers in the back um, they have mini labs in hospitals or urgent cares but Okay, sad note. So, strep pyogenes, which is, again, that's responsible for strep throat. So, it's inflammatory. Um, we call it inflammatory pharyngitis for mm-hmm. instead of strep throat, but it's the same thing. But if untreated without antibiotics, mm-hmm. um, and it basically, it's, again, a highly inflammatory condition, and it comes on very quickly, about four to six hours after exposure. Right. Uh, direct exposure. So if it's in the air, it takes a little bit of time. It may, you may not have symptoms. It can be up to a day, but it can be that quick. Um, there'll be s- quick, severe inflammation of the tonsils. Sometimes there's white patches on them. Sometimes there's streaks of pus in really severe cases. Um, a lot of people have headache, rash, malaise, fever, swollen lymph nodes, very common symptoms. We all know. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm reiterating strep pyogenes is because it's not just strep throat. It's a really nasty fucking bacteria. Very nasty, especially if, if left untreated. Right. So have you heard of necrotizing fasciitis? Yes. Yes. Everybody has <clears throat> strep pyogenes. That can cause it? Yes. For Shit. those who have not known, it's a rapid flesh eating disease and it's quick. Very quick. Um, it's very fast. It's infective. It's fast spreading under the appropriate circumstances. Essentially, it kills the subcutaneous tissue that surrounds your muscles, fat, nerves, blood vessels. And once it hits your bloodstreams, you can go rapidly septic. Mm, yep, I'm good. Within 48 hours of no treatment after you have symptoms, death is imminent. 
That's how fastly it can go systemic. Typically, it's contracted by the bacterium getting exposed to open sores, scars, surgical sites, or basically small wounds. Right. It is more likely to happen like post-surgical <clears throat> cases, pregnancy, obese people, um, those who are bedridden, um, drug abusers, immunocompromised, cancer, etc., etc. The usual The usual stuff. But it's very quick. <clears throat> so I have a couple cases, actually. Um, there was... I don't know if you ever heard of this one, but this one actually went, like, across the nation. It was a guy who just had legs, well, just, I say, like, I think four to six weeks out, and he was in an air cast. He hadn't had a fully healed scar, but he was down in a hot tub in Florida. With the cast? With the cast, but his leg was out of, um, his leg was out of the hot tub. And he had just, when he went to get out, he dipped it once and got his cast wet. And by the next day, he had, like, redness and itchiness around his scar. Didn't get it treated. Didn't get it checked out. Waited till he went home. And a week later, they had to amputate his leg from the hip down. Christ. Because it it went, and he noticed his, like, toes were going black. Oh, my God. And that's when he was like, holy fuck, I need to go to the hospital. And then they're like, yeah, dude, we got to take the whole hip. Because it was already up past his knee. Holy shit. And unfortunately, with this type of pathogen, you have to take well more than is needed because yes you can see it's up here but right. it could be going right you need to make sure right and he's lucky it didn't go and get into his bloodstream like yeah um jesus so, so there's kind of another story let's see jesus there's tons if you could literally spend all fucking day reading stories um literally today i was talking with my patients about it um let's see i had one of my patients who she said she got a cut on her wrist and she was like, uh, it doesn't feel right. By the next day, it was inflamed. It was hot. It was itchy. And she's kind of one of those moms that kind of blew everything off. She's like, no, it's fine. I'm not going to deal with it. Whatever. She she let it go. And her son went and lo- like looked at it. And he's like, no, mom, that doesn't look right. Like, there's red streaks and shit. And it, it was like two days later. And she's like, no, it's fine. I'm just going to keep putting like antibiotic cream on and wrapping it up. And uh, she literally passed out in her bathroom and woke up in the hospital without an arm after three days holy shit yeah damn and i mean here's another case a woman was walking along the beach tripped cut her leg got a three inch quarter three quarter i'm sorry three quarter inch cut long damn it was long but it wasn't that wide it was just like a little split um in florida she was 77 she just moved there essentially um, she, again, she fell and then the, she reported it cause I guess a lifeguard saw her fall and he gave her some antibiotic ointment and wrapped it. And when, when they wrapped it, they're like, okay, yeah, it's fine. She went home. And then the next day again, it was red, it was itchy, it was inflamed. And so her son, her son actually came and saw it and was like, Hey, um, this doesn't look right. And she, he started to notice that on her leg, like he noticed like her, the end of her toe was going black already and she's like no it's fine i'm not gonna worry about it oh my god and she and she was in uh, the next day after i think that was like three days later she was in such severe pain that she went to the hospital and again they had noticed that her toes were starting to go black and it was infected it was streaking and she had one severe sepsis because it went systemic that one gained access to her bloodstream and almost fucking killed her but two she lost not just one leg but it had spread through her body to the other. 
Jesus. So she lost both of her fucking legs. Oh my god. That's fucking nuts. It is fucking nuts. I I literally read so many stories when I was researching this, which is not, it's not easy or not hard to find these stories. You just type in necrotizing fasciitis on the news and it's like, boom, 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 literally just gone. Damn. So, okay. So that's really, so for those who didn't know, again, necrotizing fasciitis is caused by strep pyogenes, but there's also other bacteria that cause it, but this is a common one. So going back to it, it can cause other things such as scarlet fever, which is similar to strep throat, but it's just basically severely high fever, like 104, 105 with a very sore throat. Um, It also can cause like severe inflammatory skin reactions and basically a full systemic autoimmune disease, um, such as rheumatic fever. Rheumatic fever is where your joints, your organs, your heart, your brain, your connective tissues can all just like puff out and just go crazy literally inflame like be inflammatory for lack of a better term right um again this is well this is essentially if you don't treat your strep with antibiotics or some form of treatment just because it's again it's very opportunistic and it can take advantage and rheumatic fever kind of sucks because that's a really it's similar to necrotizing fasciitis it's quick and it goes systemic quickly um damn another thing strep pyogenes can go to is your kidneys um, basically causing glomerulonephritis, which is inflammation of the glomeruli in the kidneys was kind of the basic functional cell of the kidney. This one is a problem because it prevents your body essentially from excreting toxins, wastes, and proteins, and it's very painful. Like, you can't urinate anymore. Oh, it holds, shit. like, everything in. Oh, damn. This is not chronic glomerulonephritis. This is acute, so something that happened rapidly. You can have chronic ones that's kind of waxes and wanes that's a little less um, severe, but acute cases essentially are mostly caused from untreated skin or throat infections. Damn, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. If, untreat- if you continue to leave it untreated, it can result in full kidney failure. So, um, early symptoms you can, well, early symptoms of glomerulonephritis is kind of, you wake up in the morning and your skin and your face, it can actually be really puffy and inflamed. Same with around your wrists, same with around your ankles. Um, your urine might be bloody or brown or overall it slowly decreases over time and you just can't seem to get enough out. If you were to take blood work, you would have really high protein in your in your blood too because you're not excreting it or in your urine if you were to get it extracted interesting man needle Mm -hmm. um there's also the disruption of your renin angiotensin aldosterone system we talked about that yesterday christ (laughs) the ross system um this can actually another symptom is actually fluid builds up in your lungs and it causes shortness of breath because the RAA is responsible for your blood volume, your blood pressure, and your vascular resistance. So most people don't know our blood pressure is partially regulated by the hormonal pathway between our kidneys and our lungs. I knew that. Did you? Because you told me yesterday. I did. I did. <laughs> so basically, um, your kidney is responding to el- blood volume levels. If there's too much, too little. And it will elevate your blood pressure when there's not enough blood volume in the kidneys or if there's not enough salt in the distal convoluted tubules in the kidneys which exchanges electrolytes it's a part of the kidney that we have sodium water and potassium 
it all exchanges. Um, side note that that was the distal. The proximal is responsible for reabsorption of stuff. So homeostasis. Okay. So these little tubes in our kidney are responsible for almost homeostasis full homeostasis of our blood volume of our blood pressure of our electrolytes like it's kind of fucking wild so kidneys are kind of important <laughs> kind of fucking important <laughs> um Damn. so and then also for beta agonism beta agonism is responsible for bronchial dilation and muscle relaxation so we can breathe better essentials essentially so the bronchioles are the little like minor parts of our lungs itself right they they take in um unoxygenated blood add oxygenation to it and then exchange that oxygen through itself and then we respirate so crazy inhale oxygen exhale co2 so the uh, the ras very important that's a really crazy system that was kind of blew my mind in med school it's like our fucking kidneys are responsible for like our breathing they're part of our breathing rate it kind of makes sense in our say it like that right in our acid levels and oh it's crazy okay and moving on i can keep are so weird they are i could literally keep going on all fucking day just about like the kidney itself that would be a cool episode anyways so strep uh we're gonna move on from pyogenes and we're gonna talk about uh strep pneumonia or pneumonia as they said in school pneumonia pneumonia <laughs> um this is an alpha hemolytic strep oh it's alpha alpha which means there's full hemolysis when you put on agar plate um this one's important because it causes our classic pneumonia and it's also part of our normal upper respiratory tract flora making another opportunistic bacterium it is also responsible for middle ear infections in children in types of meningitis oh so i see a lot of ear infections in kids that are actually misdiagnosed because someone or their primary care will go in they'll look into the ear they'll see there's fluid build up but there's no redness there's no infection they'll be like oh my god that's an ear infection so they give the kids antibiotics but there's no infection it's just fluid build up right. and typically in anatomy our eustachian tubes which is the connection from our outer ear where if you were to put your fingers in your ear that's our well our eustachian not technically the eustachian tube but part of it you go through a there's a membrane on the inside and then it goes through a tube, and that tube actually connects into our throat. So our ears mm. essentially drain into our throat itself. When we're children, they're gross. They're gross. When we're children, they're purely horizontal like this. So if you get any type of fluid buildup in here, you can see how if it was like this, it would the fluid would drain out sure, yeah. into our throat. But it doesn't. It sits flat. It sits horizontally. So kids can't drain fluid as effectively as adults. So, yes, there's fluid in here, and yes, there's an opportunistic area for infection, but if you just see clear fluid in there, it doesn't mean there's a disease. It means there's just fluid buildup, but there's something either blocking the throat or the muscles are too tight, not allowing it to drain and relax for it, or the kid's not moving around enough, et cetera, et cetera. That's very interesting. So, as, it, as we grow as adults, our body stretches out and they start to tilt downward creating better drainage how come we can't just like take a vacuum and just because you have you or like can, you know what i mean just shove something in like a little tube because you have a so you have a tube so say you have a long ass tube that goes your outer ear to your throat right in the center of it there is a connected membrane that prevents you from sending anything from your outer ear all the way through to your inner ear Ugh. your tympanic membrane 
stupid bodies. <laughs> holds fluid in there. That's why you don't necessarily leak fluid unless you have a hole or you rupture your membrane, which some kids do over time. But yeah. as you can see, people overprescribe antibiotics just by seeing fluid. They're like, oh my God, it's the early stage of an infection, but the kid has no fever. There's no other signs or symptoms. So here we are, more antibiotic resistance. But this is what I deal with literally every day because the whole point is, is chiropractic literally helps little kids drain this out by releasing out the muscles of your neck, allowing for that fluid to move where it needs to go to relax the muscles of your throat. That's all connected literally from the muscles of your throat. The tone of that, that vagal tone, can be stimulated by relaxing out the muscles on the sides of your neck through pressures, through mobility, through muscle work, all sorts of other stuff. That's why chiropractic helps little kids prevent ear infections in tubes. In most cases, not always. There's definitely a time and place for it, but sure. crazy. That's neat. For those who didn't know. I did not know that. So, okay. So another strep, mutans. Um, this is actually, so did you know there's a common cause of cavities is actually a streptococcus bacteria? No. So strep mutans is actually a common cause of cavities. In conjunction with high sugar intake, um, essentially strep will have the opportunity to stick to your teeth and then you feed it, you eat a lot of sugar, it feeds the bacteria, you don't brush your teeth, you don't brush that bacteria off and then it actually bores or over time eats away at the enamel in your teeth or whatever part. I'm not a dentist. Fuck off. Sorry. <laughs> um, and it can cause cavities. That's so weird. Super common cause. Like it's not just sugar, it's bacteria. Most I, people don't I, yeah, connect I, those dots, but right, some people do. Sugar. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. It's not the sugar eating it away. It's the contribution to the bacteria itself. Right. Um, though, strep mutans is literally a part of our normal flora, so it is kind of important. But this makes brushing your teeth super, super fucking important. So, so those are just some common ones of strep that I really wanted to talk about. Oh, my God. Um, yes. <laughs> So that's basically staph and strep. And I think, okay, that's where I'm going to fucking end it. <laughs> I just talked about staph and strep, but next we're going to talk about actually Neisseria, which is kind of cool. Um, we're going to talk about simplex, herpes simplex virus. And the kind of a lot of research dedicated to like cytomegalovirus and Epstein-Barr virus and stuff like that. Not necessarily... And chicken pox and shingles and stuff like that. Not just the nasty, nastier side, which is like the inflammatory STD part, cold sores, etc. But the things that people don't necessarily know about part of other viruses. So we're going to sure. jump from bacteria to viruses minus Neisseria, which is Neisseria is kind of crazy too. That affects your spinal cord and can cause encephalitis and meningitis, so... Yeah. So let's end it there. That was actually kind of cool. Yeah. Strep and staff is cool. It's, I mean, I wouldn't say it's cool. It's very it's cool. It's interesting. It's very interesting. Um, again, I only picked like maybe a quarter or a third of some of the diseases that each one of these causes. So. Right. Yeah. That is a uh, very interessante. Very interessante. Okay. Cool. Well, if you, after we're done with part two, of course, if you guys have any suggestions for future episodes, feel free to throw us an email at sermonspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. 
or check out our swag at starmints.live. We have all of our links there. You can listen to this podcast through the web, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio if you're 75 and above. Um, <laughs> well, I'm just saying. That 120-year-old fuck! Motherfuck! Motherfuck! Uh, yeah, and um, join us for the next episode. Join us for the next episode where we talk about all the other shit I already said. Won't you drop on Tuesdays? Yeah, right. wah, 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 wah. Sure. All right, love you guys. Uh, mm, All of you. Uh, Except for you, Stephanie. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love you too, Stephanie. Okay, all right. Who the goodbye. fuck's Stephanie? I don't know. I'm just guessing. Bye! Okay, bye. <laughs>